press alone doesn't make or break your business. If all you do is go on Shark Tank and then sit on your butt, you will be in three months right back where you were. Right. Like you get the initial, you get the initial sales, which is so awesome. And you know, the business goes crazy and all of that. But what press does and opportunities like that is it gives, it gives your business credibility to get sales. Mm. It gets you sales in the short term, but long-term sales come only from parlaying media attention into doing the work. Biz Women Rock, episode 229. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. This is the official podcast of the Biz Women Rock community. And the focus of this podcast is to be a platform for you to hear stories of amazing businesswomen who have had tons of ups, tons of downs within their business journey and are here to share about them. Why? So that you can hear them and know that you're not alone in this whole game called business and possibly be able to take some things from their experiences and go and implement them into your own business. So welcome. If you want to be part of the Biz Women Rock community, a community of amazing and savvy businesswomen who are all over the world, just go opt in at bizwomenrock.com. Okay, so you obviously love podcasts because you're listening to this right now. So if you are thinking of starting your own podcast or you are a podcaster and in either one of those scenarios, you want to access very relevant and actionable podcasting information to grow your podcast business and you want to hang out with other awesome podcasters, then you don't want to miss PodFest 2016. It's happening in my backyard in Tampa, Florida. So use as an excuse to come out and see me. I would love to have you there. Uh, I have the honor of speaking next to such incredible podcasters like Dave Jackson of the School of Podcasting. He's like one of the godfathers of podcasting. Um, Glenn the Geek. Glenn is the founder of the Horst Radio Network, which is one of the largest networks. He's going to talk all about his network of podcasts. Justin Crossley, who has the Brewing Network. I am going to be there um, talking on a panel of about women in podcasting with the amazing Natalie Ekdahl of the Biz Chicks podcast, Liz Covart of Ben Franklin's World, and then we also have... Uh, Jeff Brown, who has the Read to Lead podcast. Those are just a few of the speakers that we have coming in to be able to give you the best and most up-to-date and relevant and actionable podcasting information and education. Um, And let's be honest, just being around other podcasters is, I, I can't even put into words what that is worth. Being around other people who get podcasting, who want to learn about podca- podcasting, who are interested in growing their podcasts. So this is happening February 26th and 27th in Tampa, Florida. That's the 26th and 27th of 2016. Just go to podfest.us and you can find out all of the information there. And guess what? There's actually going to be a special Thursday session on the 25th just called Podcasting 101. So if you're brand new to podcasting or maybe you're within your first year of podcasting, there's going to be specific education and teachers 
uh, all designed to help you out to get that podcast started, to help you in that first year of development of your podcast. And then we go into all of the main stuff over the 26th and 27th. It's going to be amazing. I would love to see you there. Go to podfest.us to get all the information and to sign up today. Woo! Have you ever thought in your wildest business dreams, perhaps you have this as part of like your business vision, right? You have built a great business and all you're doing is sitting back and collecting royalties. You're hanging out with your family, you're spending time with your kids, you're spending time with your husband and just enjoying life and not doing anything on a day-to-day basis for your business. Uh, that is the life that our guest has today. Her name is Leslie Haywood, and she is the inventor and the founder of a company called Grill Charms. Now, Grill Charms are uh, an actual like dime-sized stainless steel uh, piece that goes inside that you stick inside like a steak or a hamburger or a piece of chicken before it goes on the grill, and you can grill with it on there so that you know whose piece is whose. Uh, so... You know, when you have uh, somebody who wants their steak well done or somebody who wants it uh, medium rare, whatever that is, or you could put some name on it, whatever it is, you could have these uh, little charms in there. And now you know whose piece of meat goes where, whose veggies go where, whatever it is that you're grilling, who gets all of that stuff. And um, so it's a great idea. Leslie has a phenomenal story to share about how she came up with the idea Um, how she got her idea into the market within 18 months. Uh, And we really walked through her process as to how she did that. Uh, She has a really great resource for how to find manufacturers. And um, and then she talks uh, specifically about doing PR for yourself and for your company and some really great tips that I've never heard of before on how to start getting the word out there and letting it build upon that um, and just really great ideas for that. And probably the biggest part of this conversation, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, was the fact that um, as of this recording about uh, a little over a year and a half ago, she officially created a licensing agreement with another company who now literally does the work. (laughs) They do all of the dailies, they're, you know, creating, manufacturing, and distributing, and selling the product. And she talks about what happened, why that occurred, um, what the specifics of the licensing agreement were, and how that's getting executed, some really great tips that she has about uh, if you want to license, what you should really look out for, and um, and what her life looks like now, which literally she d- doesn't work in the dailies of her business. She promotes the heck out of it. She's so proud of it. She still, you know, owns it. Um, but she gets to enjoy her daughters right now, which is really where she wanted to be. And she is such a great uh, story about that. So uh, I, if you are an inventor or if you just are like, you know, hey, I, I really want to build your this business into something really great that I can eventually hand off and continue to get paid for. This is such a great conversation. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's get going with Leslie. Leslie, what is going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, 
great, Katie. Thank you so much. Biz Women Rock. I love it. I'm so glad to be here. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Uh, you and I have the the rare pleasure of being able to be watching each other face to face right now. I know not everyone's being able to to have that ability right now. You're hearing this audio, but um, but via Skype, I'm usually just audio with people, but you and I are, get, are getting to do video right now, which is very, very nice. It's nice and sunny in South Carolina right now, right? <laughs> Oh, yes. It is gorgeous. It's a perfect day. And oh, my gosh, I don't know. Your, your listeners, they never get to see you. I'm telling you, people. Cameron Diaz. I am on <laughs> Skype with Cameron Diaz right now. I'm, oh, my gosh. She's just gorgeous. And anyway. who did you say the other one was? That was that was the one that Yeah, was. a cross between Cameron Diaz and Michelle Pfeiffer. If that's you can made, just picture that. That's what made me laugh because I was like, oh, my God, I just remember cool writer of, of Grease 2. And you and I were like, that's exactly how we remember Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> she be forever yes priest too for me yes. i love it well thank you so much for being here um man i'm so excited to be able to share your story your entire entrepreneurial story with everyone it has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of really unique components that i'm so excited to dig into to be able to give everyone uh, some really good insights to business so um grill charms okay so i what i would really love to know is um before you started grill grill charms you had no entrepreneurial experience whatsoever you were a corporate gal right yeah. Right. None. No entrepreneurial experience whatsoever. No desire, really. It wasn't really something I even thought that I ever wanted to do. I was going to, uh, my whole life, um, I always wanted to, you know, do what I was going to do after college and get a job. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom, so I knew eventually that whatever career path that I had chosen, that um, I was going to step aside and, and raise my children. And so that's kind of what I did. And I followed that plan to the letter. And I, I didn't mean to go into business. It was a complete accident. It was, it was crazy. I love it. You know that term accidental entrepreneur, like that's your, that's a little bit of your story. So what, where did that story, story start? What was that moment when you were like, I have an idea and I'm going to make a business out of it. What happened? Well, it got, I mean, it all started with, you know, irritation at my husband. Um, uh, is that where a lot of all great ideas come from? Yeah, I was going to say, girl, if we had a nickel for every business that was started that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just, I, you know, I have to give him credit for, you know, messing things up. We, we ha have dinner parties here quite often. And here in Charleston, we grill all the time and love, you know, love spending time in the outdoors. And so uh, my husband made some spicy chicken and some mild chicken because not everybody likes spicy food, had a whole table full of guests. And by the time he brought everything up to dinner, he couldn't remember which was which. And so he put the spicy chicken on my plate and I really don't like the spicy food and it lit me up. It lit me on fire. And so I got mad and he got defensive and he said, well, someone just needs to come up with a way for me to tell what's what out there on that grill. I said... <laughs> Okay, I will. And after we cleaned the kitchen, I got out a little piece of paper and I started sketching prototypes for grill charms. And I, we're we're big winos in this family as well. And I was like, okay, I have I use wine charms because I don't like people drinking out of my wine glass. Well, the same holds true for my piece of meat. Like I like it how I like it. Right. I like rare. I like not spicy. I have you know yeah. when it comes off the grill, I want to know which piece of meat is mine. Right. And that's. It was as simple as that. And obviously, you're not alone in that because, uh, you know, Grill Charms has really taken off. So, um, you know, just to give everyone a, a really good visual. So what Grill Charms is, is literally 
um, I'm going to call it like a little stainless steel, kind of a dime size or quarter size piece Mm -hmm. that you stick into the meat when it's on the grill. So you can kind of grill the meat as it is, and then it's, it's able to stay there. So it cooks with it on it. Um, and you've even come up with all sorts of different designs. So it's not even just your bland, like, oh, medium rare and rare and well done. I mean, you've come up with really interesting designs that can go on there as well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's a million reasons why people would want what they want. You got, you know, if you're you're having a bunch of boneless pork chops and someone has a health or allergy issue or someone happens to like lemon pepper, someone likes Cajun, you know, everybody gets what they want. And so if your grill charm is the martini glass, you put that in your piece of meat when it's raw, like before you even get it out on the grill and you season it how you want it. That way, the grill guy, all he has to do is worry about what he wants to worry about, which is just cooking anyway. He doesn't (laughs) want to know that Aunt Betty, you know, can't have gluten and Uncle Tom, he prefers this or that. No, he just wants to play with the fire. But when everything comes back to the table and you sit down and it's presented to your guests, you know, that is where the hostess in me comes to mind. I'm like, no, I want to give my guests what they want. And so you look for your martini glass and you know that it is seasoned exactly the way you want it. So for the inventors or the wannabe inventors out there, what I'm so fascinated with is that it literally took you 18 months from light bulb moment, I had this idea to now you're in stores, which is a an incredibly short amount of time. So can you walk me through like a few steps of the process that you went through? Like what did you actually do to take it from a, a little handwritten thing on your notepad that night to a prototype to actually getting it out there? Like walk me through some of those steps. Right, right. Uh, I mean, it was just so, I felt about it and I was terrified because the idea was so simple. I was terrified that someone else was going to do it first. So I think that that is why I spent like every waking moment that I could. I mean, my children were still young. They were one and three. So every nap, every time they were sitting quietly watching TV, anytime they were doing anything. And I tried to coordinate their naps at that time. Like I was trying to manipulate their whole world so that I could spend time trying to get this thing to market. Um, I, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of the business plan. Uh, I That's the first thing I did was to see if it could really be um, a successful business. And then so you I did went your to, market research. You did all, I did all my market research. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Market research. Um, I looked at some of the financials, um, had a, a sales plan, what I needed to sell at what cost, what I needed the cost of goods to be in order to make it successful. Um, and then I went to a local machinist and, told him the ideas, of course, with a non-disclosure agreement, because at this point, you know, that's all you've got and you don't want to, but you don't want to file for your patent until you understand what the product is going to look like in the end, because any changes you make along the way won't be covered. So I did everything with non-disclosure agreements and he literally machined for me 40 different prototypes with different like stem sizes, stem lengths. Um, I needed it to be able to stay in the meat, but I didn't want it sharp because I didn't want the liability. I mean, there was all of these things, requirements in my head and he made all of these prototypes. And so then I had a group of my friends with a um, research packet and I made them grill the top three grilled foods in America that grill charms would would be used for um, steak, hamburgers, and chicken. 
And I asked them all these questions. Was it easy to use? Did it fall out? Was it easy to take out? You know, what, uh, everything you could possibly want to know. And so much work went into these thumbtacks on steroids, which is all that they are. They're so simple. It's so simple. But I describe them. I mean, I just needed, I needed to make sure that it was the most perfect product before I went into production. Right. And so that was the whole prototyping. I literally just went to a machinist and was like, this is, this is what I need you to make. Wow. And then I started looking for a manufacturer. When you were looking for a manufacturer, because a lot of this stuff is where a lot of inventors get get hiccuped because yeah. it's like, okay, I've got this final product now. I don't know how to get into production. What did you, how did you find the right manufacturer? How did you find the right distributor? How did you find all of that? Okay. The manufacturer part of it, I went on thomasnet.com, T-H-O-M-A-S-N-E-T.com. That is... The basically it's a registry of every manufacturer in the entire United States for every single solitary material. Wow. I mean, fabric, plastics, metals, anything you can possibly think of. That is the index to find it. And so I've just started calling every stainless steel. I researched the metals, first of all, to see what metal I wanted to use. And most grilling stuff was made out of stainless steel. And that's, you know, I wanted kind of a high inversion. So stainless steel is what I thought I wanted to use. And that's what I used for a really long time. And um, so called every stainless steel manufacturer up and down the East Coast. And I knew where my price point needed to be from my market research. I knew how much the public was going to pay for it. So I had to work backwards from that. I knew that people were not going to pay more than 1995. It's a perfect little gift item. And that's kind of the sweet spot in the gifting industry. All of this I, I did. You got to do your research before you go making stuff. Right. And so working backwards from there, if you have a $19 price point, you need a cost of goods to be no more than $10 and you have to have, or sorry, your wholesale price can't be more than $10 and the cost of manufacturer has to be around five. That's, that's the natural, I mean, any business class will tell you that that's how, that's how in order to make your margins, that's what you need to do. Right. So I knew what I needed to get it made for. And unfortunately I was told it couldn't be done for that in the U.S., so then I had to look overseas um, for this particular, you know, metal um, process that I needed. And now does thomasnet.com do overseas as well, or are they just U.S. based manufacturers? Well, there there are some overseas, but what 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 I did find on there was source a sourcing agent and a sourcing agent. And I personally, that's what I suggest. If you're going to go overseas, I feel comfortable using a sourcing agent. And it's a representative here in the US. It's like an independent salesperson who lives here, speaks English, like no, but represents um, a particular industry, like my guy specialized in metals. That's what I needed. And so he what he shopped my prototype around to various um, Taiwanese factories to see if somebody could make it. So I didn't have to go over to Taiwan to find the factory. Everything is done through a through a sourcing agent. And if you Google sourcing agents in a particular, um, it, it's usually in a particular industry or a particular, you know, plastics or metals or whatever right, it is. Right, your right, product right. Is. 
And so that is your go-to person. And they get paid. It's a commission base. But I found it completely worth it. Even paying him his cut, I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. I wouldn't have been able to have it done. I mean, Girl Charms would have cost like 50 bucks. Right, right, right. Wow. Great, great resources there. So, okay, so now you've gone through all of these steps to be able to sort of have the final product. Now you have manufacturing in place. Now you got to go make sales. So we're still in this 18-month window because by 18 months, you were actually in stores. So uh, how little teeny tiny stores like like little but but my first store first store okay so how how did that first store come about and then what um let's even talk in broader terms what has been like your ritual on how to get into more and more stores right right no I totally I I it it was it was was all planned out um (laughs) I I, I, the theme of this entire conversation is the plan do the plan so I had my first set of samples. I didn't even have the produ- the entire production run yet. I had a box of samples from the factory. And I went to, I just walked in to a local mom and pop gift store. And I just said, uh, you know, and she was the owner. You could tell that she was the owner, you know, a super tiny store. And I was like, hi, my name is Leslie Haywood. And I know that this is going to sound crazy, but. I invented this grilling gadget that would be such a good gift item. And I would love it if you would just give me your input and let me show it to you. And she thought that she was just like, she'd never have someone walk into her store going, I invented a product and I want, I hear it is. Can I show it to you? Just the curiosity alone. She was like, well, how can I say no to that? What did you invent? (laughs) What did you invent? And so I showed her and purchase first purchase order right then and there. Wow. How many did she order? One case, which was my minimum. Six. Uh, a case was 12. Is, okay. Is 12. So Very nice. So order 12 units. And that is what I did. That's exactly what I did all all over Charleston. So you were, going, you were going one by one to all these stores. Yep. Wow. Because, and, and I feel like that, that is, that's kind of the key in getting your confidence up. Um, getting your pitch uh, refined because your local people, they are going to want to support you more than anybody else. You're not going to have an easier sales call than in your own backyard. Mm. So practice in your own backyard, show your face, tell your story. Those are the easiest sales calls that you will ever have. So get your, get your mojo with your local people. (laughs) And then you can start going out and going to the regional stores. But then you've kind of already got your pitch. You've got, you know, you've learned what works. You've learned what questions they're going to ask you. You've learned what objections they're going to have to it. So practice on your practice on your small local people. And those are the people that are going to want to support you. So what was happening in your business life at this time? You had two very, very young daughters at this time. You had been working your butt off and completely, you know, shifting your schedule and your daughter's schedules in order to like make this business happen and at least get out there. And now you are out there, but that's not good enough. You got to keep on growing. You got to keep on doing it. So what did your life look like at this time? And what kind of, uh, I would imagine that's the point at which you had to really make a determined shift on 
how you were going to run your business on a day-to-day basis and and do all of this because now it's real now it's real you're in stores and now you want to grow bigger so what was your what was your mental status at that time and what is your what did your life look like in order to kind of shift you into the next gear into the next well um after i had done a lot of practicing locally and regionally then if you want to get into some of the um, the, the larger stores, you've got to do the trade shows. So I kind of, in any industry, it, to really grow the business, um, they the trade shows with the trade association of whatever your industry in, for example, mine is house, home and housewares, or, or it could be grilling as well. There's, diff, there's different associations, but um, the International Home and Housewares Show in Chicago is, Houseware. So that was where I wanted to go. But I did a smaller show in Atlanta, America's Mart. I'm sure a lot of a lot of your listeners know about that here in the Southeast. Um, and it is it, it, it's on a smaller. It's a huge marketplace. But for my particular industry, it's it's a little smaller. So I did that show first. Um, and actually, the first thing I did was go not as an exhibitor. And I think this is really important. Um, I think that you should go and just walk the floor. Get a look at what your competitors are doing. Get a look at the other people in your particular industry or genre are doing. What do their booths look like? What's working for them? And just take it all in before you go and bite the bullet and get a booth. And now you can totally do a booth on the cheap. Like you can spend a ton of money or, I mean, they'll say, you, you know, you, you bring your own, you know, drape and you bring your own. I went to Lowe's and put together my own shelving. Like I did it all myself. You know, I got like the $19.99 shelving from Lowe's and <laughs> put fabric over it and then took like pictures that I went and had blown up at Walmart and put those on easels and, you know, pictures of grilling. And, you know, then I had like a loop of a DVD that I made of how it worked, like grilling, uh, you know, all the things you could do with it. So you can totally do a booth pretty inexpensively and get your point across. And that is where the stores are really going to take notice. And so, I, I mean, that was that was a struggle um, because my kids were so young. I really had to rely on my husband a lot. That that, that was that was tough. And yeah. so that you've got to decide kind of where you want to take your business. And I think that that knowing how much it took um, helped me decide later on what I was going to do. Um, that, you know, there was eventually a crossroads in how big I wanted to get. Right. And how big I thought that I could get without sacrificing too much of my family. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you want to grow the business, you've got to eventually do the shows. Yeah. You've got to yeah. do the trade shows in those, in that industry. Well, and you, one of the things that really fascinated me as I was researching you is, is what you did very well is you pushed, like you really got a lot of PR. Um, I I remember uh, you were on the Danny Deutsch show. You were on the yes. Mi- Minute to Millions. I used to be a huge Danny Deutsch fan, by the yes. way. I loved his show. Um, yes. Yes. You were there. I mean, you're listed on all these different places. So you really like hustled your way out there. You were on Shark Tank in the very first season yes. um, and ended up getting a deal with uh, Robert Herjavec. So talk a little bit about that deal, because I'm sure that even that, even in the first season, I'm sure that had a pretty large impact on the business. So talk a little bit about that deal and then what happened after that. 
Oh, sure, sure. And and I, I, I do want to give a little bit of advice about doing your own PR and how to get how to get that. Please. Um, again, I, I just like with the sales calls, it's really important to start small because press begets press. Nobody right off the bat gets on the Today Show. They have started, usually they start in, you know, you get an article in a teeny tiny local paper. And I'm not talking about like, and Charleston's not a huge city. I'm not even like when I first wanted my first little press, you know, mention. No, I went to where I graduated high school, which is 20 minutes up the road from Charleston in a tiny town called Goose Creek, South Carolina. And I approached the Goose Creek Gazette (laughs) because I was... The, you know, I was a a high school graduate of Goose Creek High School and they were like, oh my gosh, she invented a product. This is so cool. You know, I mean, you really, really, there is no press too small. That is my biggest advice. And like you said, I'm everywhere because I never turned anything down. And I went after every single solitary, teeny tiny little newspaper, every radio station that would I don't care if they had two listeners but that was something I could put on my press page and then when people the larger uh, media outlets they start researching you they don't know that the Goose Creek Gazette has got a readership of I don't even know how much it it doesn't matter your media page your press page looks so cool and so then your larger media outlets are like well she is everywhere you know she must do something so start small go after every single opportunity you can and you will eventually get noticed and then and I do think that that is how um the big idea with Donnie Deutsch found me um and then Shark Tank came to me um because I had been you know uh, in in the in the industry and also I was really active and involved in different forums and um uh, within the inventing world and was really active. So they could research me and say, oh, okay, she might actually know what she's doing. Even if I don't know what I'm doing, it looks like I know what I'm doing. Right. And so they that's that's when they gave me a call and they flew me out there. And um, next thing you know, I'm walking through those double doors, so nervous with the sharks everywhere. And I mean, oh my God, I, I really felt like I was just going to throw up. I thought for <laughs> sure. I mean, oh my God, Leslie, just don't get sick. It was so <laughs> It, I was so, so, so nervous. Wow. I really was. Well, and you, it was. We well, held your own on the show. And they, you ended up having a whole, uh, you know, group of all the guys like fighting over you. I mean, you, Robert Herjavec was fighting with, I think, Damon and, um, and Kevin Harrington. Kevin Harrington were fighting. And, then, were fighting. The and Kevin, Kevin O'Leary had put in his offer, too. I know you didn't like his uh, um, his royalty offer. But I mean, they were all fighting over you. So you ended up choosing Robert. Why did you choose Robert and what ended up happening? Well, I wound up choosing Robert because um, I really felt like he would support me and let me run the business the way I wanted to. The other ones... Um, the, well, Kevin and, uh, nice Kevin and Damon, (laughs) they wanted the majority share and there was no way there was no way I didn't get that far to give up half of the company. That's not what I was there to do. I still felt like I had so much I wanted to accomplish 
And I knew, or I didn't know, I just felt like, just from that instant that I was out there, because I'm telling you, you don't meet the sharks before. They know nothing about you. At least that's the way it was with season one. And I know a lot of people that have been on this subsequent seasons. It's not like there's a practice run. It's not like they ever lay eyes on you. It's not like you ever lay eyes on them. When you walk through those doors, it is on. Like that. <laughs> And so just from our interaction, I really felt like he would, he trusted me, he trusted my judgment, and he would let me continue to run the business the way I wanted to run it. And that's why I went with him. And that is totally the case. That, that was, that is totally the case. So um, I knew, I, I don't know, I felt like Kevin, especially Kevin, infomercial Kevin, who's not on the show anymore, that's who I really wanted to go with because I felt like he could do the best and had the most expertise in that industry, you know, the guy, the sell on TV guy, but the price that I would have to pay, it was too much. I, there was, it wasn't worth it. I would rather limp along doing my own thing and still maintain control of my company. Right. And, um, and so I, I, I could not be more happy with the decision. What was the impact of that? What I mean, even in season one, there was definitely a Shark Tank effect, you know? Oh, God, it, yes. So, and now, oh, my God, I've heard stories yeah. now. Holy cow. It is crazy. But, yeah. oh, yeah, sales go through the roof. I mean, like thousands of percentages uh, over, the, over the following weeks. Yeah. Um, it is amazing, the opportunities. Um, but one thing I do want, I want all of your listeners to know, though, is that press alone doesn't make or break your business. If all you do is go on Shark Tank and then sit on your butt, you will be in three months right back where you were. Right. Like you get the initial, you get the initial sales, which is so awesome. And, you know, the business goes crazy and all of that. But what press does and opportunities like that is it gives it gives your business credibility to get sales. Mm. It gets you sales in the short term, but long term sales come only from parlaying media attention into doing the work. Yep. You just can't sit back and just let the money. If you think money is just if I can just get on the Today Show, life is I'm all set. It is absolutely not true. It That's is like the, so not true. That gets you to the start line, and now you have the the right to keep on running. You know, you have the right exactly. to run in the race. Exactly. You absolutely, and that is, uh, and I think that was one of the the short term sales were nice, but the real benefit of being on that show, uh, aside from all the reruns that happen, which is nice, because every time it reruns, you know, you get a you get nice a boost push. sales, but using the fact that you were on Shark Tank to get your foot in the door to buyers and owners of companies, that is where the real benefit in being on the show is. Mm. Especially, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I make a cold call on a company and they're like, I saw you on Shark Tank. Nice. And if I had not had done that, I don't know how much time they would have given me yep. to give my pitch. Yep. So it is such a good that that is that's probably the biggest benefit of being on the show. I read in an article that um, an interview that you did. And I, I, I think it was uh, might have been like right 
after Shark Tank, I'm not too sure, but um, that you really, your number one focus was always and always has been in your business. I'm working on sales and I'm working on marketing and everything else that doesn't make money is go, yes. I'm getting it off my plate. Yes. So I would like to know how you structured your day, how, how you actually put that theory into practice on, a, on an everyday basis, because I think that's a good concept and every businesswoman gets that that's what she should do. But how right. did you how did you operationalize that? What does your day-to-day look like to make sure that you were always focusing on sales, always focusing on marketing and really getting all the other stuff off of your plate? Well, before and certain days of the week I had certain <laughs> tasks. Um so I don't like making sales calls. Don't make sales calls on Mondays or Fridays. Nobody wants to talk to you. So that is when I would work on my marketing. And if I had to do stuff like, you know, my QuickBooks or whatever, I would, you know, ugh, I outsourced a lot of that stuff because it was just an order fulfillment. Oh my gosh. My time was so, is so much more valuable chasing business than filling boxes. So that is, I think that's really important that, that is the kind of stuff that I feel is worth outsourcing if you're at a point where you can do that. Um, and you, uh, I filled boxes myself from my kitchen table. We all do that. But Monday to Friday, my, it was more important for me to actually get out there and try to drive the business. So on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, minimum of 10 calls, cold calls to new customers every day before I would do anything else, before I would allow myself to do anything else. And I would start like at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And depending on what time zone they were in, you know, like I I don't call store owners or anybody before 10. Everyone needs their cup of coffee. And I don't do after four either. Right. So, but I needed, that was the priority. And you just have to commit to 10 calls a day or whatever your number is. That might not be feasible for you, but you know, and I was the queen of cold calls. I would call anybody right. and I would give them the same pitch. And it's wonderful being the inventor of a product because just like I said with my first store, calling someone and saying, I invented a product that I think would be a great fit for your store. The curiosity factor alone, very rarely did I get, I'm not interested. Like, very rarely uh, every they're like you invented a product okay you got to what what go ahead you know right, so right. that's that's kind of i use that i use that to my advantage and i feel like that's where i was the best salesperson hire a lot of people do hire sales reps it didn't work i was a far better salesperson than any rep i ever hired got it yeah. Um, uh, one of the what, things what I, that we haven't talked about, and I know we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that we have a chunk of time to talk about I'm this. wordy. I'm sorry. No, just, no. This is all good information. This is why I say it's just, it's always a flow of stuff. You know, I always try to keep this about 30 minutes, but I, I, I absolutely don't want to skip this part. Licensing. Now, uh, yes. about a, I think you said about a year and a half ago, you made a deal um, with a company who now licenses your product. And I want to talk about that because it's not something that we get to talk about very often on the show. Um, and I just want to make sure that, you know, you listening understand that right now, Leslie, literally, you really don't have your fingers in the business at all, right? I don't. Nope. Gotcha. So you're hanging out, you're being mom to your girls, you're hanging out with your family. We're going to talk a little bit about what you're kind of up to now, but, and it's mainly because of this licensing agreement. So talk about how that came about, 
and how you structured it and what that really means. Sure, sure. Um, Well, a company approached me about a year and a half ago, um, maybe a little bit more than that. And they loved my product. They'd seen it on Shark Tank. And they said, you know, have you ever considered licensing it to someone else? And I, I was getting to a point where it was the business was requiring more of me to get to the next level than I felt like I wanted to give, which was a hard pill to swallow. And I'd been tossing the idea around of do of an exit strategy. I didn't know what the exit strategy was going to look like, but I knew that Grill Charms deserved more than I was willing to give at the time, which is, you know, I mean, it's tough when you have built this company from nothing and then to realize that maybe you're no longer the best person to run the company anymore. And so I researched, I was like, you know what, let me think about it. Researched the company, really clicked with them, um, had a great, great rapport, met the guys, um, and felt, oh my gosh, yes, these are the people that can take my product to the next level. And licensing deals can be structured a million different ways. And it's just, it's between you and the company you're working with. Um, some people get um, a lump sum up front, and then a certain percentage, you know, usually a lower percentage, um, quarterly, usually it's quarterly royalty checks that come in the mail. And so you negotiate your percentage. It's different for everybody. It's different for every industry. Um, three to 5% is standard, especially if it's a large company. Um, and then usually you are not no longer involved. You, they completely take over and they have the right to do whatever they want and you are out. Now these guys, they love what I've done with it and we're like, you can, you know, hey, be as involved as you want, whatever, you know, and I, I was still meddling in, in it for a <laughs> while and then I was like, Leslie, you are still, it was, it's hard to let go of your baby. It's hard right. to let go. Right. So I, I had to catch myself and go, no, this is what you wanted back off, go, you know, go be with your family. And so now I really, I don't have anything to do um, with, with grill charms on a daily basis. I still promote the heck out of it because you know, that's money in my pocket. And I'm so excited and love everything that they've done with it, done to it. But no, I have no say uh, no, um, in any of the decisions that they are making now, which I'm totally okay with. They, they're great. They're awesome. Why is licensing a little different than the company just coming and buying you out? Well, um, usually licensing agreements are for a specific set amount of time and you can renegotiate depending on sales. And so everyone gets to be happy. Like if I am not happy with how their sales are, and a lot of times you put in a minimum, like it, they have to sell and that's what I would suggest doing um if you have you need to sell a minimum of this or we can go our separate ways so it just gives you a set time frame to see how it's going to work out and then if it doesn't like at any point I am not happy or they're not happy I get girl charms back gotcha okay so you're still connected to it it's not like they've completely oh, yeah. bought the name out from you no Gotcha. No, okay. It's only they are licensed. They have licensed it for a set amount of time, Got and it. that that amount of time is can be renegotiated as the contract comes up and 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 all of that. So no, they haven't bought it out. It is still mine, but uh, the rights to everything they're doing with it, they have. Got it. But 
yeah, so that's kind of where the continuing, you know, the money is continuing the, you know, whether or not that they want to do it anymore, whether or not I want to use them anymore, you know, it's, it's very fluid. I mean, that's, and, but some people, if they might just want to sell the whole thing. Right. But I, I've, I've not heard, I've not really heard of you selling it and getting royalties. That, right, that's, right, huge, right. that's a licensing thing, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, usually if it's selling and you're getting multiple payments, it's like, you know, you, they're they're buying it in payments over time or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's not, it can, yeah, it's not based on sales. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure that this question can be answered in about a thousand different answers, but... Um, Specifically with licensing, what has been one of the biggest lessons that you've learned that was either surprising to you or um, just really like, wow, okay, that's uh, that's something new to me as far as a lesson that I learned within this whole licensing pro- process? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. A lesson. Well, I Like I said, I'm very fortunate that everything has gone really smoothly. I have heard, I have a friend that had a licensing deal where and this where you kind of kind of be have to be careful and you should put in some sort of minimum payment that you get companies have licensed products to table them to shelve them because they have a product that's coming out that they don't want the competition oh yes so be we are like i said my guys are so awesome um but there are companies I, I hate that there are, but there are companies that you get into a licensing agreement and they do absolutely nothing with it. Oh, so you just need to, you need to, you know, that's, that's something you need to be mindful of. Right. So what are you doing now? How are you spending your time now? What does life look like for you? Do you, are you business minded right now? Or are you really just focused on your family having a, having a good time? I'm really just focused on the family. Oh, um, well, you know, 12 year old daughters, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm buckling my seatbelt and we're going through middle school and, you know, I, I, I knew that the kids, they needed me to stay alive when they were younger. That's what they needed me for. I feel like they need me more now. They don't feel like they need me more now, but I'm going, <laughs> oh my gosh, now is when the real test happens. How, oh my gosh. So I am really focused on the family this summer, you know, trying to keep everybody occupied and their brains not turn into guacamole. Uh, so I'm, I, we're, we're having a lot of fun this summer and I, I can totally see myself doing something when they are when they're when they're out of the house and don't meet you know the empty nest syndrome I know that I'm going to I'm not going to be able to just do nothing right and I don't know that I will you never never say never I might not you know I don't think that I will be able to work for somebody else after the freedom of being an entrepreneur but you never know um and there's a million ideas that I have that I just have to keep you know pushing down because now is not the time and starting a business. I know what it took to start a company. So every time I get those urges, it's like, no, Leslie, you made this decision because of the point you were in your life. So just push it down, just push it down. (laughs) You you can, you can do that later. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love, I I really appreciate the fact that you're really clear about that. And just like, you know who you are, you know, what's important in your life right now, you know, your priorities and everything is where it is right now. So um, I just love it. Leslie, I've had such a great time chatting with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been very, very awesome, very informative. I really appreciate it. 
Cool. And hey, if anybody likes Shark Tank in the fall, I think there is a new there's a new show beyond the tank that's coming out. So are you going to be on that? I am. I don't know. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> hint, hint. Okay. Very cool. We, yeah, we might have to talk later. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, did I just totally love that conversation with Leslie. What a great gal, huh? Um, okay, so major points that I got out of that were definitely the thomasnet.com as a resource for finding manufacturers. I have put that on the show notes page for this interview. So she is at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 229. That's where you can find that resource. There's a direct link to that. Um, And that was just fantastic because that's a huge problem that a lot of inventors have along in their process. The other really great standout uh, piece of advice that she had was how to do your own PR and how to, she said something in there about, you know, PR begets more PR. And I thought that was super true. And, um, you know, just starting little that she went to her little backwoods, you know, high school publication, and she just kept letting that build and letting that build. She also talked about how she started her day, her, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with 10 sales calls, 10 sales calls before she did anything else. And her focus was always on sales and marketing. Loved that. And the biggest biggest conversation of all was really about licensing. I think every single business owner has really dreamt of the day where somebody else is either running their business or, uh, you know, just that they're not in the dailies anymore and you're sitting back and hanging out in your daily life, but you know, it's still financing you and she's experiencing that right now. And I thought the licensing deal was a really great option on doing that. She gave some very good advice about how to structure that how to watch out to make sure that you have a good company who's doing that, not just wanting to put you on the shelf. So um, gosh, hope you really enjoy that. I got so much out of that. Um, and I, you know, I keep circling, uh, meaning to circle back to this, but one of the foundational elements of the entire conversation was that she really prepared from the get-go. She did her market research, she created her business plan. So every step that she took in building her business she was super savvy about like she already knew how much her cost should be she already knew how much you know her margins should be she knew all of that stuff because she had done the research and I thought that was absolutely foundational to her success so um so you know the question is no matter where you are in your business can you take some time to really get back to that business plan or maybe if you didn't create one maybe you know you can spend some time creating one and doing that Um, all of that research and and making sure to know your numbers. So really, really enjoyed that conversation. Hope you did too. I can't wait to see you on the next show. Uh, Remember to go to bizwomenrock.com. Go opt in so you can keep updated on all of the shows. I'll see you later.